This is Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. Join in the ATP studio. Steve Hopkinson. Steve, welcome. Thank you very much, Graham. Looking forward to having a chat today. It is going to be a chat. Informal. Fantastic. Good. We're going to talk about travel, hospitality, and the journey. Not just in that space, but your journey as well. Sure. You've been a few places. Yeah. You don't like to. You're not afraid to admit that yourself. No, not at all. You're from Australia originally. Yes. So already, I mean, you know, there's a lot of Aussies in the startup scene here in Singapore, isn't there? Or is it, is it just because they're louder than the rest of us? I think there's the loudness yeah. and the fact there's just lots of us. Yeah. So you end up getting... Do you think you're more entrepreneurial as a nation than... No, I just think that Australians like to get out and see the world yeah. and all the rest of it. And they've got a bit of a get on with it attitude. And so, you know, like just... I don't think we're naturally startup people. Yeah. Like the like sort of, you know, guys in the US and all the rest of it tend to be a little bit more in that regard. But yeah, I mean, get out there and give it a go. Well, it seems natural that you've gravitated towards hospitality and travel. Obviously, it's very strong with the Australian background, but it's not just about that. It's about Asia and that whole sort of growing market. Your background, before you, we talk about oh. item and how this happened, um, just a bit of, bit of context. We met at the Murudi Demo Day Correct. a couple of months, two or three months yep, back, two, yeah, three months back yeah. here in Singapore. Yeah. So you did the accelerator program Correct. in Telstra, the, the Telstra accelerator. For those that don't That's know, right. it's, it's Murudi was based here in Singapore so it had it's had some really good um, alumni come out of that and we oh, had alumni on the show we had Jenny Pan we had Wei Ching um, I'm sure there's a few others that we'll have on the there's, show as well there's lots of yeah there's, there's really high quality yeah I think there's upwards of about three cohorts out of Singapore we were the third cohort so you're yeah. talking about the best part of around about 20 to 30 companies I guess well yeah. actually more than that 30 companies yeah was it a natural avenue for you to go and join an accelerator you know what, to be honest with you myself and my business partner Matthew we're sort of the same uh, vintage right the wrong pa- side of 25 correct so okay. you know we thought we you know we knew a little bit more than most in our in our own minds but uh, it was the best thing we ever did right so much you can learn um, I would highly recommend to anybody if they have the opportunity to do a good accelerator yeah to go for it yeah. Did you come from Australia to Singapore? To no, I, you were here already. I've been here for, this is my second time in Singapore in terms of living. Yeah. And this time close on 12 years. Okay. So off and on in Asia and in Singapore for 25. Yeah. So I know you, you've alluded to the, the age factor as well. We, we uh, I can say this, I'm 46 years old. Again, I'm not your average startup entrepreneur in media terms, right? Yep. I know you, we've got this image of the guys in the shorts and the, the sandals coming out of Stanford, you know, like 19 years old, and they've got a billion-dollar app under their belt. That's more of a myth, really, than reality. Yeah, the, completely. And actually, I think if you look in the U.S., they're saying that the average age of a startup founder is like 42 or 43. Exactly. Yeah, the Harvard Business Review of yeah. all people. Yeah. There was data that came out a few weeks back, wasn't it? And they said, I think it was... The av- I don't know what the average age, but the average age of the the median age of the most successful startup founders was forty five. There you go. I'm already past it by yeah, one year. Well, I am too, but not by much. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what do you think? I, I, I'm not going to dwell too much on it, but yep. I think it's worth talking about. Is that there are an older group of entrepreneurs, and obviously they have that pedigree now that you can see, and it's verified by the data. Yep. You know, the forty five up. So, what do they bring that those younger you know, like more pugnacious startup founders don't bring? I think you've got knowledge, you've got experience. Um, you've just been around the block one or two times. You mm. hopefully don't make as many mistakes. Uh, you might be a bit more open to them bringing in younger team members. You know, it's, I don't know, I think it's, for us it was definitely just having that experience and yeah. being able to know how to sort of cut through, cut through a lot of the, the noise that's out there. 
because you can just get on with it. And we've been, we've had experience, in, so we've had successful startups in the past. Mm. So we can also bring some of that knowledge and experience as well. So that's, I think, the big one for us was just, right. and you also have, ideally, you have a few dollars in the bank as well. So you can sort of, you have the ability to sort of self-fund yourself. You can get through for a reasonable amount of time without necessarily going out there and just raising funds for the sake right. of it. Yeah. So you get you get further down the track. And with that, you talk about the experience, you, you've got a better understanding of what's broken, what doesn't work in certain industries because you've spent a number of years selling to or working in those industries, yeah, right? Yeah, correct. You, you, exactly. You, that's And that's a big one. I think yeah. The fact that you've either come from the industry or you've seen what's going on in, in the industry, you often will also have the... Uh, connections at a more senior level within the organizer yeah. or within the industry to really be able to sort of cut through and get to the meat of the problem. And yeah. That's exactly what the case was with us. Yeah. You know, we were able to use that experience to be able to identify the real problems and sort of cut cut to the chase. I get that when I look at your pitch deck, and we'll, we'll have a look in a minute, sure. is that it's really direct. And I like that it's to the point, no beating around, you're not throwing in a lot of buzzwords. To me, that smacks of somebody who spent many years understanding what doesn't work and what's broken and can empathize with the people on the other yeah. side that you're selling to. Right? And I think it's in part is that, absolutely, what's in our deck, but also the fact that we, through the, uh, the Mirror D program, mm. we refined and they also helped us to get to that point of you know, creating a great pitch deck or creating right. a great sort of presentation deck. Yeah, so shall we have a look? Combination, sure. Let's, let's bring it up and we'll, we'll talk this through. I mean, it's nice and clean. That's what I like about your pit yep. deck. And the, the headline stats are in there as well, which just gets straight to the point. I would like to see a before and after, you know, like the before and after pitch deck, before the accelerator program and after. What would it, what it I know, because I've uh, seen the, have you seen the Airbnb original pitch yeah, deck? Yeah, I have, yeah. Bloody awful. Yeah, but it's actually to the point. Right, okay, there you go. That's what I liked about it. I yeah. mean, yes, it's not particularly attractive, but it's actually, you know exactly what the hell they're doing. Right. So I think when, if, if you looked at our first one, it was it was more just, more words without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And um, more more stock imagery, potentially. Right. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. Which is fair enough because that's actually my background. But, right. Um, Interesting. You know, but that I think it was more of that. And yeah. then we sort of refined and cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. So we could sort of use it more of a talking point document. Yeah. We don't want the audience sitting there reading it and then not listening to you because it's about you. It's about mm. your stories, about what you're trying to get across. Absolutely. So yeah. well, what did you what think you focused more on then when you actually refined that and now where you are with the pitch deck? What did you try and get to? The meat, the, the real problems. Right. What is the opportunity? How big is the opportunity? What are the problems in the industry and what are we and why are we the guys to solve it? Mm. And who are we? So I guess it was that, that sort of classic, you know, what is the problem? How big is the opportunity? You know, how are we solving it and who are we? Right. So that's sort of... So, Steve, know. maybe we can start there at the top. Sure. Item, if we can get back into the pitch deck, what is the problem first? So, as it says on screen, we're helping hotels to maximize um, the revenue and the opportunities from group business. Right. So group business group means... Group business means anything over 10 rooms in a hotel is classified as a group business. So you don't typically buy... You don't typically book it online. So if you jumped on to... I don't know, Expedia or Booking.com right now and try to book 20 rooms. You mm, can't. Mm. Um, the systems, they don't, that's not how they're sold. So you then contact the hotel, you directly negotiate with the hotel for your group business because often it'll include meeting space, uh, you know, breakfasts and et cetera, plus uh, the sleeping rooms. Yeah. And therein lies the problem. 
because everything to do that is running on a spreadsheet. Right, right. I'm just going to. I'm jumping through. ahead. Yeah, keep keep yeah. Uh, keep talking us through this. Sure. On slide four. So as it says there, managing groups is painful. painful. So what are we talking about here? Like events, seminars, what? Or well, like big families, and, or what? Well, the events and the, the the seminars is is the reason you're going to the hotel. What we're concentrating on to start with is the sleeping rooms, the right. actual physical rooms that you might be staying in. So you've got a, a big event taking place in Bangkok. There's 80 people coming to this event from around the world because it's the XYZ Corporation annual sales kickoff or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. and they're all flying in. So what happens is the hotel is sending the event organizer a rooming list, which is basically a spreadsheet, yeah. and saying, can you please fill this in with the 80 names, first name, last name, arrival oh, details, etc." Because I need that detail as the hotel to put into my property management system, so therefore when you show up at the hotel, I've got you. I need to know your names. Yeah. But the whole thing is on a spreadsheet. So it's a connection between myself, the hotel, and you as the organizer. Mm. And we're trading back and forth spreadsheets. And in the perfect world, everybody gives you the details on the very first time you send out the email. Yeah. And we, we don't live in the perfect world, so it doesn't happen. Right. It can almost happen right up to the very last minute people are still being chased for their details. I'm not showing up and people can't get their visas to turn uh, up. And, and so then they cancel and it's very complicated. Yeah, right. Um, so let's eliminate all that. Let's put the whole thing online. Okay. And What's the solution? And that's what we do. Right. So we basically are taking the whole experience, eliminating the spreadsheet and moving that experience to being an, an, an online experience where you actually, as you as the guest, make the booking. So a link comes from the planner. Yeah. Um, you click on the link just like you would on Expedia or someone like that. We're not an online travel agency, by the way, mm. but the feeling of how you make the booking is the same. Check in here. Here are my dates for my particular, right. you know, conference that I'm going to. Yeah. Here are the negotiated rates that have been organised. Um, fill in your details. And the the, the group organiser books that. The or or group, yeah, the group organiser is confirmed it with the hotel. Yeah. Hotel sends them a. Uh, a a link in an essence, yeah. a URL link. Mm -hmm. They send it out to all their organizers. They click on it. They fill in all the details. It then creates a direct connection mm. between guest and hotel because the hotel and the guest are only connected currently when they show up at the hotel. Right. So there's no opportunity for the hotel and the guest to create a relationship. So that relationship could be about, can I upsell you a room? Yeah. Do you want to prepay for a spa package or mm. how else can I possibly help you? Do you want to join my loyalty club program? Right. And they may be existing rewards members anyways, and right? they may well be. We don't know that until they show up. And then if we show up and they are one of our premium members yeah. and we're running full of house, then exactly. we can't. Actually, it happened to a friend of mine recently. They went to uh, somewhere in China, staying at a Western branded hotel. They were a platinum member. They mm. showed up with their colleague who never travels, but because they didn't know who they were, the colleague got the suite upgrade and he oh stayed dear. in the deluxe room. Now, the hotel, it's, you know, yeah. the hotel is embarrassed about it, but it's not the hotel's fault because they don't have the yeah. information, but they should. Yeah. So we Small stream. touches, they can make a big difference. Let's right? get everybody connected. Let's get yeah, everybody right. talking. Okay, so I want to ask you, before we dive back into the pitch deck and we look at the market size itself, is that how did you come about with this idea? What Was it a personal pain point that you felt? Did you have an experience or did you just see a market opportunity? No, so I have another startup that I created a few years ago with a couple of guys and we were selling solutions into hotels. We had around about six, we still have around about 600 hotels in Asia mm -hmm. that we were looking after. So I guess I sort of could see it from the point of view of the hotel 
in that respect. And my business partner, Matthew, he came from a company called Lanyon, which is a large technology company providing um, meetings and events mm-hmm. solutions. So, you know, he, he was able to see from the technology point of view, and I saw it from a hotel's point of view. We've been friends for 15 years. Uh, we sat down, we're having a chat over a beer, and we went, we think there's an opportunity here. Mm. Using our industry connections, we sat down with the hotel and said, is this a problem? Is this a pain point? What are you doing today? And clearly managing your business on a spreadsheet when it can represent up to 40% of your revenue, mm. it's painful. Right. You were, at the time, you were selling into hotels. We're B2B, selling a media. Yeah, we're selling a media, a, a, you have a, a, a media, B2B media. Inside a TV. Correct. Right. Yeah. And that is like in-room TV programming content. Correct, about right. the city in which you're staying. Right, so when I walk into the room and it's popped up and it's showing... Talks about a... Singapore or Hong Kong right. or... So it's, it's like a TV program about your city. Yeah. So it helps you to get, I guess, more in touch with the the city in which you're yeah. staying. Yeah, and you can upsell services and all kinds Cur- of it yeah, and advertising correct. it, right. That's okay, right. so yep. you were doing that and that was a startup that you started some years ago correct. and you were knocking on the doors of hotels effectively and, yep. and staying in these hotels as well as yep. you go around selling to them. And um, you then found that there was this issue that they were sending around emails with Excel spreadsheets attached to them and you thought, this is no good, let's deal with it. Yep. When did you start the business? Uh, 18 months ago, Okay. roughly. Yeah. You know, and like everything, you know, we thought, oh, you know, it'll take us, take us a couple of months. We'll build the software, and yeah. everything will be fine. You know, as you all do when you kick these things off, and um, a year down the track, you're still building it. Right. Are you a technical guy? Uh, no, I'm not a. I'm not a programmer. I'm a, right. a sales guy. Uh, you know, being leading companies and all the rest of it. Mm. But uh, but I actually have been playing in the technology game since '92. Mm. So I've been around selling software and being involved in it in 92 yeah yeah, 92 what kind of software Um, are you selling back then logistics for the freight forwarding industry right so we built software in australia uh for the customs and freight forwarding industry yeah is that a similar kind of problem that you're doing Um, the kind of conversations you're having well i mean way back then yeah i mean obviously the technology changed a lot since then but i mean are you seeing patterns of conversations come up this kind of feels familiar to 1992 and sometimes when you're dealing with spreadsheets sometimes it is because some of the legacy systems in hotels Hmm. are 15 20 years old um and they're great systems they work they're very robust and i think that's one of the reasons why they're still there but it's very old tech Hmm. and it makes and that's one of our biggest challenges to be honest with you one of the biggest challenges and it's why it's taken us so long is just that integration to the property management systems right because they were built in a period where the apis didn't exist yeah yeah. you couldn't you know so it's it's just complicated Hmm. um when you're talking about you know tapping into the hotel systems okay we'll talk a bit about how you're actually going out and getting these hotels on board in a minute let's have a you know, maybe start this conversation by looking at the market size sure. and where we are. So, so people understand, I mean, obviously, you know, in the context of Asia, we've got to talk about a few things as well, like the, the growing middle classes and so on, an expanding travel market there. Maybe we can just zip to the front where you've got the data here. So you've got it marked at 400 billion. Is that the size of the group? Yeah, that's the gr- group and events business glo- right. globally, according to Expedia, is about yeah. a third of the global travel industry. Right. Global travel industry is about a $1.2 trillion industry. Uh-huh. $400 billion of that is uh, is groups and event-orientated business. Yeah. So groups in a hotel can range up to about 40% of the hotel's revenue can be group business. Yeah. It's the second largest part of a hotel's revenue after their transient business. Is it a higher margin business for them? It can be in some ways because they get, obviously, there's all the 
other hmm. uh, services around the meeting space and F and B and you know yeah uh, and yeah so it's a, it's a sort of it's a different dynamic okay. Okay. And according to Expedia, there's about 60 million events took place around the world. Right, as it says year. there. And you, as, you, as you've marked out, 65% of revenue, 40% of bookings. Yep. All to do with events. But is it, I mean, we're talking about Asia here. I mean, are you an Asia-focused business? I know you're based here in Singapore. How do you see this going? Because you've got many, many different legacy systems and the world is very big, obviously. Yep. You know, what's your focus right now? Well, I mean, it's obviously Asia in terms of just bedding things down. Mm. But we've primarily been working with... Um, large global hotel chains so by nature our business is global mm -hmm. uh, so but we're focused here because we're here just to you know make sure everything you know, iron things out and get everything working exactly how we want it to okay and how are you seeing things evolving here i want to talk about asia as a market generally there's a lot of input factors which are driving the market we have this i mean outside of singapore for example singapore is a great base it's, it's, it's a small market in the grand scheme of things especially when you talk about southeast asia you know, we have a vastly uh, fast-growing middle class. You know, they're growing from what was 700 million back in 2009 to three and a half billion by 2030. And they say that two-thirds are going to be in Asia by 2030, two-thirds of the world's middle class. So you have that going on. And then you have this, you know, this opening up of the fact that Asia is now sort of moving around a lot more than it was. It used to be very centralized and focused on its own market so the chinese only ever did business in china yep. and the singaporeans maybe only ever looked at singapore and malaysia and a little bit of indonesia but now it seems that a lot of businesses are moving around asia and a lot of external businesses are looking at asia as a jumping off point okay now we have to start thinking about singapore for our yeah. annual meeting and so on well, what are you seeing on the ground in terms of trends well Sin singapore certainly is uh is a big meeting market globally right you know, i think it's in the top certainly in the top 10, if not in the top five globally. So it's a big global market in that respect for meetings and conventions. Mm. Uh, and it does it exceptionally well. Well, Trump and Kim is a good advert well, for the whole thing, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And you know, I mean, obviously you look at Marina Bay Sands as a meeting, I mean, it's the biggest meeting and event um, location in Singapore. It's a, right. big, it's a, big, it's a big business. Mm. And, but you're also seeing that in places like Bangkok and Hong Kong and Bali, you know, and then obviously then you talk about secondary cities. So I think you're correct in terms of that middle class. And by the way, group business is not just corporates. It's also leisure. Yeah. So, you know, you get 20, 30, 40 people coming on a leisure trip. That's a group business trip. Yeah, the Chinese families all traveling together. Everyone's traveling and more and more. So, uh, and again, you're seeing a lot more global companies coming into Asia. Mm. So um, it, it's not stopping anytime soon. Yeah. All right. Good. Let's talk about, um, move on. You've got a case study in your, or, well, not a case study, but you've got some data here which you want to bring up on your um, spreadsheet. Sure. Sorry, not your spreadsheet, your pitch deck, impact for hotels. Sell the money, as they say, yeah, in old so, school terms. What's yeah. going on here? So if a hotel is using our solution, they can see up to $350,000 of additional revenue over the course of right. the year through upsells and cross-sell opportunity because they're now directly connected to that guest for the very first time. Mm. So now it's an opportunity to say, well, in advance of you coming, well, do you want to stay for an extra two days? So it's that, uh, you know, flying away from London to Singapore, as an example, the conference finishes on the Friday. Well, why don't you stay for an extra two mm. days in my hotel? I'll give you the same, you know, uh, corporate rate that I gave you for the, uh, I gave you for the, the, uh, the corporate function you're yeah. at for you to stay for two days in my hotel. So at the moment, that's very hard for the hotel to be able to get because they're not communicating right. to the guest. They're going through the planner. So they don't have that direct connection. We mm. get them connected. We get them talking. Right. Surely if you had a great person on the front desk, they should be able to recognize this. A bit, bit later, I've just flown in from London. I've already made my booking for the weekend. Yeah. That person might be able to get 
convince me to spend extra X dollars for an upgrade, yeah. but they're not going to convince me to stay for two extra nights in the hotel. Because I would have either chosen to stay and I've already booked somewhere else. I might have stayed in the hotel, by the way. Or I'm leaving. Yeah. So um, they have to be a really good salesperson on the front well, desk. I, I think if you they are a good salesperson, you're, you're a sales guy, my background in sales as well. I mean, being a good salesperson is one thing, but we all need good process behind us, right? And I think you look at a great salesperson, they have a great process behind them. And that often is that they know exactly where somebody is and what needs doing at any stage of that relationship, right? So if I had a, a system which told me, you know, this is what you need to tell them next, or this must have flagged up to talk about that extending the stay conversation, right. it takes all that, that sort of decision fatigue about knowing what I should be doing next, right? So it's not necessarily the fact that a great salesperson doesn't need the system, they do even better with a system behind them, Of course, right? if I'm online and I'm looking at my booking and I see that my conference is finishing on the Friday, I'm doing it in my own time, nice calendar in front of me, I can say, the event is finishing on Friday, why don't I stay for the weekend? Yeah. Okay, we're, and we're giving them that opportunity. So it's then, it then becomes their choice. Um, to make the, the extended stay, but we're giving the opportunity. Mm. Likewise, I mean, they might decide to come in with their partner. Um, you know what? I'll spend the extra 50 or $100 a night and we'll go for a suite yeah. because we're giving them that room upgrade opportunity. My company's paying for my room anyway. Um, it's the, it's the, the, the phrase is pleasure. 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 It's, it's, it's a Steve. business leisure. Right. In actual fact, it's now the millennials, are the number in the US, I think it's up to 65% of millennials will do a pleasure trip, i.e. fly in on the weekend, have a great time in the city, right. and they'll, they'll do their business or, you know, back yeah. the trip. Either or. It's one of the fastest growing parts of the right. Why, why is it the fastest well, because, because I think millennials are willing to be a more adventurous. They right. want to go and check out the city. Right. They don't just want to fly in for the business on Monday and leave on Wednesday. They have to come in for the weekend. Um, they have the disposable income. They typically don't have the children, so they're spending it right. like they should. On this, like I did until I was 41 and had a child. I spend it on myself. Right. So um, that's what they're it's doing. Awesome. So it's, it's a big growth uh, opportunity for hotels to be able to tap. Yeah, and if you talk about millennials, I imagine now millennials probably work more hours than any generation before them. Therefore, there's less distinction between work and pleasure. Therefore, if work presents you with an opportunity, it might be the only leisure opportunity you can get. So you need to take it, right? So take your pleasure trip. Take your pleasure trip. Okay, that's a new one for me. Thanks, Steve. Right, let's have a look at the marketplace that you're in. You've sure. um, refreshingly put in your the, the spread of the market with your competition in here so we can understand it a little bit better. I think there yep. might be another. Oh, so that's your team. I'll come to those in a minute. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about where you sit in that market and what the competition is like? I mean, look, interestingly, we only have what we would define as one real competitor, which is a company called Passkey. And they've been mm. around for many, many years and you know, relatively successful organization. So they're our only real direct competition. Um, the other competition on the indirect side is organizations that we feel we can actually work with. They're not doing true group um, reservation type business, that, the type of solution that we're doing. Yeah. They're more sort of partnership opportunities. So that's why we sort of see them as more of a indirect. Um, it's more of a partnership. They're sort of playing within the group space by doing different things yeah. for group business. But so it's sort of like indirect competition. Right. Because okay. if we only put up one, one competitor, people think, What's going on? What's going on? Yeah, what exactly. Have we, what have we missed? Yeah. So, um, and look, having said, having, as we build out this solution, we quickly realised it's actually ridiculously complicated. Yeah. You know, making a, making a system that you know just does one reservation. You know, Graham flying in on the Friday. I need one room. This is what I want and leaving, is a little bit a little easier than eighty of your friends all coming in different dates, different requirements, different room yeah. categories. It's just complicated many moving parts correct so you've built the system you're actively going out there and selling it yourself how do you do that is it literally going out and knocking on the doors of the hotels and no well i mean yes and no but i mean um we were very very lucky at the very beginning of our journey we sat down with um Accor hotels which mm -hmm. is i guess the fourth largest hotel group in the world um and uh, we have a great relationship with them and so we've been piloting and testing and doing you know bits and pieces with those guys and they've been fantastic they've given mm. us a whole bunch of 
number of hotels to be able to work with. So that gives us that opportunity long-term to be able to work with an organization like that. Mm. Um, and like I said, they've just been fantastic. And we've, you know, we've worked with a couple of other hotels, um, people like Fullerton, right. to, you know, on a local level to be able to you know, get some learnings. But you know, our core in Asia Pacific alone is pushing close on 1,000 hotels. Yeah, yeah. So, so when, you, when you have a client partner like that, where do you spend your time as you consider yourself the sales face of the, the organization are you just managing that relationship well in, actually interestingly what we've done is we've harked back to our old days back mm. to the the you know, 90s and the 2000s when um we, we in the software industry we had resellers right so we've partnered up with a um a company out of australia who's got a big presence here in Singapore called McLaren Technologies, and they're a, a big provider of solutions into the hospitality mm. industry from a technology point of view. So we've got a, um, a reseller, a master reseller agreement with them where they're representing the solution in mm. Asia because they are knocking on hotel doors every single right. day. So it's just back to that being a little wiser. You yeah. know, We just use some of our, the old experience we had of, hey, let's just create a reseller yeah, network. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we've done. So they they have all the field guys going out Correct. there doing. They can the do work. sales support, training, yeah. onboarding. So it it frees us up to be able to concentrate on the product, concentrate yeah. on how we build more features into the product to help yeah. the hotel hotels that we're working with. But equally, to start putting our emphasis on, okay, what do we need to do to start thinking about expanding into Europe, expanding yeah. to the United States? So because that's ultimately where we need to be. I mean, the US is represents close on 50% yeah. of the global meetings and group business. So well, that's where all the franchises are going to be set uh, up, isn't it? And, and in the US, they're very big on doing conferences. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a big market okay. in, in that respect. Interesting. So I'm, I'm curious how you, like, for example, if you say you're focusing on product and what features to add and how to evolve that product, how do you stay relevant when you have a sort of a reseller force out there who are the front line and getting that sort of front line insight learning what's going on how do you know for example oh we've got to add this or we've got to add that you know this is a big challenge when you know we we are alongside them we're you're working with them we're working i mean even if we go out and make a sale ourselves hmm. or you know if we're talking to a group and we're doing it all we're doing is passing it over to them we want the reseller to be successful we don't want to say well they're yours and they're ours yeah no 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 it's just like whatever we do they're yours so therefore they they then don't feel like they can't bring us to a meeting they need to lock us out of anything. There's no, they don't need to do that because yeah. we're all we're all friends. Yeah, it gets so, very territorial in sales as well. So exactly. You know. So we don't we break down that territorial yeah. by not having any territories. Hmm. You know, you're the reseller, you're the master. That's yours. Hmm. And if we happen to get a sale for you, it's yours. Okay, you know? understood. Nice and easy. Okay, good. I want to have a quick look at your team as well. Sure. So we can maybe flick through. So it was Matt Matthew. That I met, was it? Yes. At, at uh, Muradu as well? Correct. Yep. So you're the two... So Matthew and I are the, the founders of the business. Two co-founders. Yep. And who else do you have in your team here? So Daniel is our CTO. So yep. in terms of the leading the team, myself, Matthew, and Daniel. Right. Okay. And then we've obviously, beneath that, we've got, a, we've got our, uh, our, our development team. Yeah. Um, where where did you guys, that. the three managers, the three, are they co-founders, all of them, three? Well, I mean, Matthew and I are the founders co-founder. of the business, okay. I so guess. So Daniel's not a co-founder. And Dan- we brought Daniel in brought as Daniel. a co-founder. Where did you all meet? Um, Matthew and I met in Australia, like I said, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, 
Matthew was actually working together and I actually relocated him to Singapore. So he's been in Singapore oh, about wow. a year longer than me. You brought him over here? Yes. Well, I brought him over here for three months. I said, Matt, go to, go to Singapore for three months because we were doing some stuff and we right. need to expand the business and do something. So can you go there for three months and then you can go back to Melbourne? Right. And 13, 14 years later... Still here. He's still sitting in Singapore, <laughs> so he, ne- he never left. All right, okay. And then Daniel, we met Daniel a few years ago when we were a couple of years ago when we were starting to build the uh, solution from a development point of view. Yeah. So, uh, and he, we just struck a chord, and we all came together, and it's you know we've yeah. been working very closely since then. He's great. Are you based here in Singapore? Correct. Yes. Okay. Matthew I, and I are both based in Singapore, and Daniel is Daniel Singaporean. Yeah. Okay. And are you raising at the moment your current situation with um, fund? We've done a we've done a raising recently. We I think there's a, there's a little bit left on that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're just sort of mopping it up. Um, but we've done a we've done our sort of I guess pre-series A. If that's yeah. you know, there's so many different terms these days that people throw out there. But uh, that's quite a pre-series A. So right. we've sort of that's sort of been basically bedded down. Right, so you're in the process of closing that and you're yep. going for something. I mean, your, your, your fundraising is never going to stop, is it? It never so stops. So we're already yeah. working on what we think the Series A needs to look like, yeah. how much money we think that needs to be. So we're actually now, um, that that's an ongoing sort yeah. of what's it going to look like and how much. Right. So uh, I think that'll kick off um, beginning of the year okay. with the aim to sort of close it in Q1. I imagine that you're probably looking for more strategic investments at that level, aren't you? Yeah, I think I think we'd rather have smart money. Yeah, what um, would that be? Because you know, now you may not be raising now, but you want to start those relationships early. Yeah, well, people, what kind of things are you looking yeah, for? I think people who are maybe within the industry, you yeah. know, who maybe have that you know, hospitality or property sort of development, understand how a hotel operates, what the challenges are. Yeah, it just helps, I guess, speed up the conversations. Um, but equally, there's you know, there's smart people out there who can value add, not just in that hospitality game. That's also a great investor, I think, as yeah. well. Yeah. So um, you know, it's it's always hard as to you know what is the right investor that you need. Mm. Um, a lot of people just grab the first lot of money that presents yeah. it's to them, but uh, I'm not sure that's the right. Yeah. That's yeah. not right. Not yeah. really the right way to go. Yeah, and we've got some great investors. You know, mm. that's who, who invested you know, up until now. So we started out with um, our lead investor was a company called uh, Ready Ventures, mm-hmm. which is a couple of Australian guys actually, who um, brothers who live here in Singapore and have been operating in Asia for many many years. Um, and then uh, indirectly, I they brought a gentleman on board called Patrick Imbradelli. Patrick is the former CEO, Asia Pacific CEO of um, IHG mm-hmm. Intercontinental Hotel Group, and the CEO of Pan Pacific. Mm-hmm. So an amazing, amazing guy. That's what you want. Yeah. Exactly what you want. But he's, he's, he's just a great guy, mm. you know, so it really, really helps in terms of the feedback he's able to provide. So he's also come on board as a, an investor as well as sitting on our board. Mm. So, and um, uh, the guys from Ready Ventures are very close to Patrick. So, and, and I'd known Patrick indirectly, you know, from, from a number of years ago, but uh, it's great. Yeah. So that's, and then we have some, I guess, some sort of angel investors right. um, that came indirectly through Muradi. Okay. Yep. So you have that core team of five. Is it five that you show? It was five, isn't it? In terms of the advisors, the, investors? Yeah. Yes. So are you recruiting at the moment? Are you looking for new people? The people we're recruiting are on the tech side. So it's mm. mainly um, back-end, front-end developers, 
uh, UI UX sort of um, it, it's on the it's on the technical side of right. the business. So our technical team actually sits in Vietnam. Mm. We started doing what a lot of people do outsourcing in Vietnam. It was you know a little hit and miss, but there were some great people. So then when the opportunity opportunity presented itself, we just took the right people and said let's just do it ourselves. Yeah. Let's make everybody full time working for us rather than working through a an outsourced organization. Right. So you've got a development hub there in Correct. Vietnam. So we're building out our own development hub there. Okay. Actually so Daniel is there this week actually. Okay, so that's where you're recruiting at the moment. That's where we're, that we're recruiting there. We were looking at, we have been looking in Singapore, yeah. but it's just harder in Singapore. It's a Yeah, it's not just money, is it? It's also a mindset thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean it's it's a smaller market to a yeah. degree. Um, it's a money thing on one level, of course. Uh, but I just think because of the size of the market, it's just a little harder yeah. to find. You know, it's harder to find hustlers here. I think, yeah. call it what it is. I mean, I, I maybe I can say that because I'm neutral here, but it's, you know, it's hard to find people who know what it is to work in a startup, you know, in the sense that there are, I mean, you've got a couple of factors that, you know, on the one hand, people graduate and you have lots of, alternatives you don't have to go work in a startup you can work in a, a nice comfortable bank or you can be a lawyer and mm. you can do very well here in singapore oh, you know, absolutely. why risk it all yeah. and then you have that sort of singapore's a bit later in the startup scene isn't it it doesn't have a lot of established success stories like you do in silicon valley where every next person is a startup founder right so there's that as well so people don't have those sort of pathways to yeah, follow I mean, it's well and truly kicking off i mean it's now you can see it which is great the ecosystem here and the amount of startups that are coming is i mean it's fantastic so you're seeing more and more, and the government's well and truly getting behind that as well. Yeah. So, I and mean, we've had some support from the Singapore Tourism Board as well. So, you know, we you know when they get behind you, they well and truly get behind you, and they get behind you for the right reason. So I think, you know, that's why I've always, that's why I'm still here, because it's one of those countries where just get on with it. Yeah. Just get on with it. It just works. You it's know? a great place to get on with. And you're not worrying Absolutely. about things like the internet and, you know, no. how's my sort of like company setup going to look in a couple of years time because there's there's no issues there no, right that's all that all completely works it's just again there's more and more i guess students coming through the system yeah. so i guess that will build up more and more of a of a tech infrastructure yeah but they do i think they also have a lot of choice too you know there are obviously a lot of a lot of development houses here in singapore that can offer them jobs as well so it's it is a bit of a challenge but there are some i mean look there are some good people out there but you know when you're a startup you also have to look at money yeah oh you know, of course you yeah. know Top of the top of the table. Absolutely. Always. Everything. Yep. All right. So I'm going to ask you the ATP question of the day, which I ask all the founders who sit in the chair there, Steve. So you get having my water. Yeah, you get you get yourself ready. So I'm not going to throw a curveball at you. But, no worries. Um it's about entrepreneurship. I'm really I'm actually genuinely curious about this. Is that at what age did you let me ask that again. At what age do you think you became an entrepreneur or did you want to become an entrepreneur? Um, wanting forever. I always remember even as a kid, even as a 12, 13 year old, just naturally being entrepreneurial. I mean, I was selling all sorts of stuff to us, all sorts of things. I just, you know, like what? Um, I used to run a little canteen next to the soccer pitch selling sweets and drinks and all the rest of it. Uh, and then I worked out that if I brought more product in, that I can make some more money. They made some money and I made some money. So anyway, so it started young. And then I, uh, then I went into the Australian Navy for a couple of years because I just wanted to. Uh, but then the minute I came out of that, so what, at 21, um, I was straight into a startup, which was the software in the, uh, the freight forwarding industry. Right. So I guess from my point of view, my first startup was in 21. And then I've just... 12? 
Well, 12 in that sense, 21 in actual yeah. fact, being able to, <laughs> to have some control of my own destiny. Right. So what do, what makes uh, an entrepreneur? And I, I would say, okay, you know you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur forever, but you were really at 12. You were selling, you were an entrepreneur, right? What? Why, why you and then not all the other kids in your year who you were selling to? I, I don't I don't know I have I just I think it's just who you are I mean like I mean, obviously everyone can ultimately get out there and grow a business right if you really want to but I think and I know I just want to I don't I don't know if they've really wanted to work for somebody maybe that was part of it maybe yeah. I like the fact that I can control my destiny maybe I've got a, a short attention span so I just was I just wanted to get on with the next thing right. you know and just make things happen I I don't know I do ask myself that time and time again my 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 mother and father, they're not entrepreneurs. Yeah, you know? it's often people around you that kind of, you see yeah. that as an option, don't you? My then grandfather was. What did he do? So, um, well, after the war, he came out to came out to Australia and built a stevedoring business in Australia. Oh, there you go. So, so we ran, the, uh, ran a port in Western Australia. Mm. Um, well, my grandfather ran that. So we, uh, you know, but he did the first mineral, the first uh, iron ore exports from... Western Australia were actually in and around Geraldton where we were living, which was my grandfather's company. He was selling talc to the Japanese. So, but as a stevedore doing the, all the shipping, and then when he sold, when he eventually sold his company and retired, he didn't retire. He went and bought a gold mine and a fishing boat. <laughs> as you do. As you do yeah. when you retire. But if you love selling, it's just part of your DNA, the hustle, yeah. isn't it, from day I, one? I do. I do. I like you enjoy it's it. It's the connecting with people. You, yeah. It's really nice when you go and see somebody and they give you a really positive buzz and feedback that what you've got is something that they need. And mm. you walk out the room and you think you're a million bucks for it, which is great. It gives yeah. you that natural high. It's great to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I feel when I do stuff. I've been in Bangkok with a client for the last two days. Um, and again, just watching the team and watching them using the solution and getting that feedback and them telling you that this is exactly what they need. This is... Mm this is what they want this it makes sense and when they tell you that it gives you a high you think yeah. yes i'm invincible off you know let, let's let's get more hotels on board yeah so yeah. that's it's just ring the bell yeah. exactly you do, exactly ring the, bell. <laughs> ring the bell awesome and i love the story i mean mentioning your grandfather as well is that do you think the stories of that you must have i don't know if you knew him whilst uh he was alive but did you hear his stories did they influence you i grew up with him. i grew up we he lived in the same city, okay. so I grew. I so grew you were aware him. of what I, he was doing when he was oh, selling absolutely. the talc I was powder. down. I was down on the ships, yeah. coming into the port of Gibraltar, hanging, hanging out, watching what he was doing, just being there, hmm. in and around him since I was. Yeah, you know, that's obviously influenced you greatly. I, I think indirectly, it must yeah. have had some sort of influence, you know, in a positive way. For yeah, sure. absolutely. I don't yeah. know how, but it obviously well, rubbed off know, somewhere. Well, more, without a doubt, where you are now. Yeah, you know hopefully. the the fact that you love selling and connecting with people. I mean, that's what he was doing as well, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, coming and sharing your story as well, Steve, is you know, in a way, hopefully, people connect with that because you know there are many different types of entrepreneurs, different shapes and sizes and yep. stripes and so on. And then you know, people will hear a story, and that will plant a seed in their head, and you know that will then become the the path for their entrepreneurship later in life they'll say oh yeah no i heard this story about this guy and he you know is in the hospitality space or he was doing this he was selling and so on and it just kind of connected with me and maybe it doesn't create the action now but it does later on it's not for everybody it's absolutely not for everybody and it is hard work mm. it is ridiculously hard work um yeah so it is definitely not for everybody yeah not you know. everybody can be an entrepreneur 
when I what I mean, anyone can be an entrepreneur. But what I mean is, if if you want to go down this pathway, you've got to realize that there is significant sacrifices mm. going down this particular pathway. Like what? You know, it's just hard yards. It mm. is just rolling up the sleeves. If you're investing your own money, you've got to realize that it might take a few years to get a, a return on your own investment. Yeah, because that's what it is. It's an investment in yourself. So it, it might take a little bit longer than you than you think. So you've really got to be able to. Uh, you know, put the effort in. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it's easy working for a company, but it's very different working for yourself and building a business. And mm. you've got to be prepared for a, a very different change in lifestyle. Yeah. Awesome. So if you spend if you spend all that time as a corporate guy sitting at the ponding of the plane, as I had the opportunity to do for many years, yeah. Once you become an entrepreneur, back of the bus. Right back of the bus. Because it's your money. Exactly. It's yeah, your commit. money. It's always your money. Yeah. yeah, awesome. That's great advice, Steve Hodgkinson. Everybody, um, sorry, I said Steve Hopkinson. Cut that out. Yeah, Steve Hopkinson. Stephen Hopkinson. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. Steve Hopkinson. That's my first mistake That's of. Okay. Weeks. Thank God we're not going it live. Oh no, thank God, Steve Hopkinson. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show and a privilege as well. And I've really enjoyed sharing your journey with you, and. You know, hopefully you inspire people to follow in your footsteps a little bit, whatever that may yeah, be. Sure. And then also people um, will be interested in reaching out to you. So there are many different, you know, potential conversations there. There are people who want to join your team, like down the line, yep. might be in the Vietnam office, it might be somewhere else in the world, it might be a potential point of contact in another market you want to expand to, a potential investor, or just any kind of partner, technological, strategic, and so on. What is the best way for them to reach out to you, Steve? LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It works. It's great. But the only piece of advice is if you're going to do a LinkedIn invite and you don't know the person, just spend a few minutes and just type the X amount of characters that LinkedIn yeah. allow you to do. I, just so I know why you're communi- you know, yeah. why you're reaching out. just helps. Tell them you watch this. Yeah, exactly. If you say I'm, I watch this, I guarantee you I'll accept your invitation. Okay, fantastic. That's good to know. Steve, thanks so much. Graham, thank you very much. Excellent.